Good morning, everyone. Hey, can we just thank Jesus this morning? Let's just give a shout to the Lord. Can we do that? Well, for those that don't know me, my name's Chuck Marr, and uh, um, my wife Anna and I live in San, here in San Antonio, Texas, and uh, we recently transitioned out of being on staff at a church in San Antonio, and now we're traveling, speaking in different churches, and uh, it's an honor to be with you guys. Man, I've lost track of how many times I've been with you now, um, so I've said it before, I'll say it again, I'm family now, whether you like it or not. Um, <laughs> But it's just an honor to be with you guys. Um, my, I've had this book here before, but I want to let you all know, um, my wife wrote a book called Embracing Mystery, A 21-Day Journey to Hope. Now, how many of you know hope's a big deal in the kingdom of God? Hope is a joyful, confident expectation that good things are coming because we have a good God. And uh, hope is a big deal. It's one thing to have hope when circumstances are going really well. It's another thing to have hope when circumstances are challenging our hope level. <laughs> so this is available out there um, in the lobby. It's only $10. I apologize. I don't have credit card square back there, but we have Venmo and we have cash. We have check. And uh, if you really want one and you don't have the money for it, just let Lisa out there know and she'll give you one. But does anybody right now, who wants this? I want to give one away. Who's like, I need that book. All right, this lady right here, I see your hand. Could, could uh, somebody give that to her or if you want to come grab it? What's your name? Bless you, Lorraine. There you go. You're welcome. All right. Man, how many of you appreciated those testimonies from CityQuake? How many of you are thankful that the kingdom of heaven isn't something that we experience just someday when we die and go be with the Lord. But we can experience and encounter the kingdom of God here and now. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, heaven to earth. And when heaven touches earth, everything that's not of God or not of heaven has to bow its knee to the name of Jesus. And as sons and daughters of God, filled with the spirit of God, we are called to release the kingdom everywhere we go. Through signs, wonders, miracles, healing. And that's why I love things like City Quake. I want to encourage you, if you weren't planning on going next Saturday, cancel your other plans and go to Aftershock because you will be equipped and trained to lay hands on the sick and see them healed. You will be equipped and trained to be the devil's worst nightmare. Because how many of you know we owe the world an encounter with God? And when we have an encounter with heaven, we start to become an encounter everywhere we go. Listen, we're not called to just pray for revival. We're called to be revival. I'm not just praying for an open heaven. I'm believing that as a son of God filled with the spirit of God, I am an open heaven. And therefore, everywhere I go, heaven can flow and touch those that need a touch from God. And it's not just those who are pastors, preachers, people who stand behind the pulpit. Every single son and daughter of God filled with the spirit of God can release heaven on earth. So I want you to lift your hands to heaven right now. And I want you to say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. 
set me on fire to be a conduit of the kingdom of God and release heaven on earth everywhere I go. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's thank the Lord one more time. And I just want to say that if you prayed that prayer and you believe that prayer, look out because God will use you. He will prompt you when you're in the coffee shop to pray for the person on crutches. He will prompt you in the grocery store or the place of work to give that individual a word of encouragement because you know that they're hurting or maybe even invite them to know Jesus. Not invite them into religion, but invite them into a relationship with the uncreated God, the king of the universe, the, the, the father in heaven who loves them unconditionally. So you excited about that? All right, well, I'm gonna share a message this morning that God gave me that I believe is timely, I believe is prophetic in nature. So I wanna encourage you to keep your hearts open and allow God to speak to you. And I'm gonna start in Philippians chapter four, starting in verse four. Philippians four, verse four. It says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Keep going. (laughs) Next verse, or I'll just keep reading. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Listen to this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, I want to read this again in the message translation. Listen to this. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them to see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. Verse six, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. How many of you sometimes just need a sense of God's wholeness and everything coming together for good to just rest on you and settle you down? Where am I? Verse what? Bottom of six. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Now listen to this, James chapter one, verse two. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I'm gonna read that one again in the message as well. Listen to this, I love this. 
Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. (laughs) You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Isn't that awesome? One of the things that every single one of us as followers of Jesus will encounter at some point in our walk with the Lord, every single one of us will face the reality that although we serve an outrageously good God, by the way, I love that I am in a house that believes that God is 100% good 100% of the time. That he is altogether lovely. He is perfect without flaw. He's always good. And he showed how good he is in the person of Jesus. But every one of us as followers of Jesus will come to a point in our life where we need to make a decision. Am I still gonna believe wholeheartedly that he is good and he is who he says he is? Even when things are happening around me, sometimes are happening to me that are painful, that are difficult, and frankly, sometimes we just don't understand. And it's in that moment that we need to decide, am I still going to believe he's good even when challenges are trying to tell me otherwise? That's why Jesus said, In uh, John 16, he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But then he said, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. That word tribulation is the Greek word philipsis, and it, it means like a pressure, like a pressing, a crushing. It's the same word used to describe the, the pressing of olives in order to make olive oil. How many of you know that the challenges that we face, whether they're just circumstances because we live in an imperfect world, injustices that are done to us, things that are happening around us, if we will hang on wholeheartedly to the conviction that he's outrageously good all of the time, he will cause your most painful, worst crushing and turn it into an anointing that will break the back of the enemy. Because he causes all things to work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. Some of you have heard my wife and I's story. Um, We got married. We were living in Redding, California. We're part of Bethel Church. And uh, we're traveling. We're we're part of Bethel Activation Ministries. We're traveling, equipping churches and ministries, kind of like City Quake. And we're doing these things. And... uh, you know, the first two years of our marriage, but shortly, very quickly after we got married, we started trying to have kids and uh, we started co-laboring with God and uh, we're, we're, we're trying to get pregnant. And uh, shortly after, I mean, after we've been trying for some time, we weren't getting pregnant. So we went to see a specialist not far from where we lived. And they said, you know what? You're not going to be able to have kids. You should probably just consider adoption. Um, like you, you're experiencing infertility and you're not going to be able to get pregnant. Now, how many of you know that that is enough to, like, to crush and to uh, discourage 
a young couple that wants to have a family. And you need to keep in mind that my, my wife always dreamed of getting married, having kids, being, she's always loved kids, been really good with kids. And now she's receiving news that we're not going to be able to have kids. We go, to, we go see another specialist. They tell us the same thing. And I can honestly say that, you know, first of all, we went home right after we got that news. We sat on our couch. We sat on our sofa, and we literally just wept. And keep in mind, we are traveling. We are seeing miracles. We are seeing breakthrough. And now we're facing our own circumstance that's, that's challenging us. Then we go to our friend's house. We sit on their sofa. We tell them, and we're crying, and we're weeping, and, uh, and, and we're just processing with them. But I can just say this. In the midst of the pain and the discouragement, I experienced a peace that passed my understanding. I, I, I felt a peace that no matter what happens, we're going to be okay. And I also felt like he was going to work it out. But I felt a peace that passed my understanding. And my pastor in California says all the time, if you want peace that passes understanding, like we just read about, you need to give up your right to understand everything. Listen, sometimes in the church, we make an idol out of certainty and control. We need to know everything that's happened and why and what's going to happen next. Are you like me? Like, I don't know about you, but like, I want God to show me what's going to happen step by step, like the next five, 10 years. God's like, how about the next two weeks? <laughs> yeah. But we become addicted to understanding and certainty. And listen, God loves to give understanding. But if we want a peace that passes understanding, we need to give up our right to, to completely understand everything. There's mystery in the kingdom of God. Even why, you know, sometimes we don't know why certain things happen. Do you remember, you don't have to turn there, but do you remember in the gospels when John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who was raised up, who Jesus himself called the greatest prophet to live, preaching to the Pharisees. I mean, he's ripping into the Pharisees. Like he is spiritual gangster. He's rebuking the religious Pharisees. He's rebuking the hypocrites. He's baptizing in the Jordan. And I mean, he's, he's raw. He's rough. He's like living in the wilderness. He's wearing camel hair as clothes. He's eating grasshoppers as his staple meal. And he is straight up gangster in a good way. <laughs> Next thing you know, John the Baptist rebukes Herod for living an immoral lifestyle, and he's in prison and about to lose his head. Meanwhile, the ministry of Jesus is rocking. Jesus is doing conferences all over Israel, all over, all over the land, and the, the, the dead are being raised, sick are being healed. Demons are flying out of people. People are getting delivered, and, and John is in prison about to lose his head, and it doesn't look like he's getting out. So it says that he sends two of his disciples to Jesus to say, Jesus, John once sent us to ask you, are you actually the one, or should we wait for another? And do you remember Jesus' response? First of all, John's having like a crisis of faith. John the Baptist, greatest prophet to ever live, preaching, prepare, prepare a way for the Lord. There's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, speaking of his cousin, Jesus. And now he's in prison, about to lose his life. He sends disciples to Jesus to say, Jesus, John wants to know, are you actually the one or should we wait for another? Do you remember Jesus' response? He says, go back and tell John this. The blind see, the deaf hear, 
the dead are being raised. The poor are having the gospel preached to them. In other words, go tell John, I'm still doing everything I've always done. I'm still incredibly good. I'm still God in the flesh. I'm still who I said, he was, who I, said I am. And then he said this, go tell John, I'm, these things are all happening. And then he said, blessed is he who is not offended on account of me. Some translations say, blessed is he who doesn't stumble on account of me. In other words, Chuck translation, blessed is the one who doesn't get offended with God and shipwreck their faith because one particular prayer didn't get answered or one particular thing didn't work out the way that they thought it should work out. Listen, one of the best ways to shipwreck our faith is to hold God hostage to one particular answered prayer. Why do some people not get healed? Why do some things not work out the way that we think the Bible says that they should work out? Listen, I'd be lying if I told you that I completely understand and know everything, but I do know this. Jesus is still on the throne. He's still who he said he is. I'm not gonna stop believing that he's good. And I'm not going to throw away my faith because something doesn't work out the way that I thought it was. So we're, we're facing this infertility and things aren't working out. We, we just wanted a breakthrough. We just wanted a miracle. We just wanted to have a baby. Listen, the Bible says children are a blessing from God. We know it's God's will, but it's not happening. Fast forward to 2015, we moved to San Antonio and we find out that one of the best fertility treatment centers is 15 minutes from our house. We go into our first um, meeting with, uh, with uh, the doctor there, and when we walked into the building, nurses were walking around with T-shirts that say hope written across them. And I could feel an atmosphere of hope in the room. And the, the consultation with the doctor wasn't if you get pregnant, it was when you get pregnant. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is amazing. And we could just feel this tangible faith in the room. And then, and then two weeks later, uh, roughly, we weren't just pregnant, but we were pregnant with identical twin girls who we have to this day, who are home right now, are six years old, are healthy, happy, giving the devil a hard time. And... A two-year-old, London Grace, our third girl, who's given the twins a run for their money. <laughs> so we have Autumn Hope, our harvest of hope, Charlie Joy, which means uh, uh, Charlie, um, her, really at Charlotte, it means fierce. Her middle name's uh, Joy. Um, so uh, she is, she is she, it means, actually, Charlotte means fierce grace. Okay? Sorry, let me back up. Let me back up. Charlie means petite, joy, okay? So she's Charlie Joy. Um, and uh, the Lord said she's gonna be a joy and delight. Many will joy rejoice at her birth, like it was said of John the Baptist. Autumn is autumn hope, our harvest of hope. And London means fierce. Her name's London Grace. And, and we, I believe God releases a fierce grace on sons and daughters of God that, that destroy the works of the devil. But the Lord gave us Isaiah 61, verse seven, Remember, we were told we can't have kids. Next thing you know, we have identical twins. And the Lord gave us Isaiah 61, 7 that says, instead of their shame, they will receive a double portion. And it's like God said, you can mess with my kids if you want to, devil, but just for touching them, I'm gonna give them two. <laughs> and listen, ideally, would we have liked to get pregnant naturally? 
Absolutely. But we didn't hold God hostage to one particular outcome. We believed that he was good day after day, even in the midst of our challenge. Doesn't mean it wasn't hard. Doesn't mean there weren't tears. But it does mean we would not give up the reality and the conviction that no matter what happens, he is still on his throne. He's outrageously good. Even when we don't understand, we'll give up our right to understand and praise him even when it's a sacrifice of praise. Listen, I believe one of the keys to living above our circumstances, if I was going to put a title on this message, I would, call, I would call it seated above your circumstance. Listen, Ephesians 2 says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Did you know that you're just as much there right now with him as you are here? What if we start looking, looking at life instead of I'm a spiritual or I'm a I'm a physical being that sometimes has spiritual experiences. What if we flipped it on its head and said, actually, the greater reality is I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm a spiritual being having a physical experience. (laughs) And if we believe we're seated with him in heavenly places, by the way, in 1 John, it says, as he is, so are we in the world. As he is right now, seated with God in heavenly places, sit at the right hand of God, so are we in the world. We're seated with him above circumstances. We need an eternal perspective that believes the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of me. Heaven's actually my home, and I'm on earth for a short period of time, so I need an eternal perspective on the circumstances going on around me where my greater reality is anchored in him, where I'm living for eternity, not for a temporary situation on earth. And I believe God is releasing a kingdom perspective. He's releasing eternal realities where we know we're seated with him. And listen, I saw a lady who knows she's seated with Christ in heavenly places where Sunday after Sunday, even in the midst of infertility, we would, we would go to church on a Sunday morning at Bethel Church when we were on the road. And we might have just found out the night before that another month went by and we weren't pregnant. But from the first strum of the guitar, I would watch her as her hands went up in the air tears coming down her cheeks because the pain's real, because it's still challenging. But her hands go up as she anchors in on a greater reality, that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And she begins to worship God in the midst of pain and declare how good he is. We see this in Acts 17. Remember Paul and Silas? Paul and Silas, like they're preaching the gospel all over the place. By the way, it's, it says that there was a, a fortune teller, a servant girl who was a fortune teller who made great money um, because through, through, through demonic power, she told fortunes and she was owned by this slave master. And it says day after day, she was following Paul and his crew around declaring, uh, these are servants of the most high, most high God declaring how you can be saved. Now they weren't helping Paul. She was actually kind of mocking and just kind of irritating. And Paul, it says, eventually got so irritated that he turned around. And he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, come out of her, cast the demon out. She gets delivered. And then her owners are angry because they can't make money from her anymore. So they lie about Paul and Silas. They get thrown in prison And now keep in mind, this isn't some like kind of pampered prison where they have a nice bed and they can watch iBethel TV. Like this is like, this is like, you know, historians will often say that these prisons were like the sewer systems of the day. 
that they were down there. It was dark, dingy, cold, probably disease infested. And it says they're chained up in prison. But then it says this, at about midnight, everybody say midnight. Midnight speaks of the change of of shift. It's the new day. It speaks of a shift in circumstances. And And it says at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Man, I love that. They're chained up. By the way, they didn't know the rest of the story. They didn't know if they were going to die. They didn't know if they were going to be killed. They didn't know what was going to happen. They just knew they were seated with Christ in heavenly places. They're chained up. And they're like, no matter what happens to us, we are so anchored in the kingdom reality that we're sons and daughters of God. They're so blissed out with the joy of the Lord that they're just like, no matter what happens, we're just going to pray. We're going we're gonna to sing hymns to God. And then it says at about midnight, they're praying and singing hymns to God. And then it says suddenly, everybody say suddenly. It says the foundations of the prison were shaken. Everybody's chains fell off, all of the prisoners. Next thing you know, the jailer draws his sword and is about to kill himself because he's like, if my boss realizes that all these people got set free on my watch. I'm going to die anyway, so I may as well just take my life. Paul stops him. He's like, don't harm yourself. Paul leads the jailer and his entire family to Jesus. They all get baptized, and they all, an entire household comes into the king, kingdom of God. Everybody say, backfire. Listen, there's something about knowing we're seated with Christ in heavenly places that will praise him in the midst of our circumstances that I believe moves the heart of God to actually shake the very foundations of darkness that were assigned to your life and were to assigned to keep you bound. Listen, you feel like you're bound to addiction? Just begin to praise God and tell him how worthy he is. Just begin to declare how good God is. And as you fix your eyes on him, watch your chains just begin to fall off. So God flips the script. But let me just propose to you that worshiping in the prison wasn't some type of strategy. <laughs> like, this is what didn't happen. I don't think Paul was like, okay, Silas, I know we're in jail, but hang in there, man, because I bet if we sing Jesus, his favorite worship song, God will shake this place and we'll be set free. No, it wasn't some type of strategy. It was a response to who he is in the midst of our circumstances. And there's something about telling God how amazing he is in the midst of our circumstances that I believe doesn't just move his heart, but I believe makes the devil break out in a rash and causes circumstances to change oftentimes. Oftentimes, we need to change our perspective before our circumstances change. But I believe Paul and Silas, it wasn't like, okay, let's sing Jesus. I I know, if we just sing Jesus uh, surrounded by upper room music, I bet we'll get out of here. No, he's just like, they're just so filled with the reality of heaven that they're like, God, we're just going to tell you how good you are no matter what's happening. We love you. We worship you. We give you praise. In fact, we just thank you that you count us worthy to suffer on your behalf. Our lives are not our own, and we worship you, and we declare that you are good, even when things happen that we don't understand. Everybody say, peace that passes my understanding. I just declare all over this room, people that are facing challenges, circumstances, things that are trying to rob your peace, I release supernaturally a peace 
that passes your understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So just release peace, Lord, I pray now in the name of Jesus. I know another guy who uh, really believes that he's seated with Christ in heavenly places. His name's Jeff. He's a pastor in Oregon. I've pre we've preached in his church, I don't know how many times. And, and, but eventually, past, you know, leading a church, um, you know, believes in healing, believes in the supernatural, believes, really preaches the kingdom. His own wife was diagnosed with cancer. After she was diagnosed with cancer, they prayed for healing, they believed for healing. Then she um, went into remission and she was, you know, didn't have cancer for a while or, uh, or she went into remission for a while. And then all of a sudden the cancer started to increase and come back and she's going for treatments. And I called to check on him. And I was on my way to, to speak somewhere. I'm in an airport. I call him. I'm like, hey, Jeff, just call him to check in. How you doing, man? And he began to tell me the story. He said, you know, I think it was just a couple weeks prior. He said, I had taken Rachel uh, to a doctor's appointment for some of her treatments. And as she's in having treatments, I'm in the waiting room just pacing in the hospital room. And I am angry and I am frustrated. And he said, as he's pacing in the hospital room, feeling angry and frustrated, he heard the voice of the Lord speak to him. And he said, Jeff, I want you to choose joy. And it actually kind of threw him off. He's like, he's like, what? He said, Jeff, I want you to choose joy. And he said, okay, Lord, I'll choose joy. And he just kind of shifted his perspective. And as soon as he said, God, I'll choose joy. How many know that sometimes joy and peace is a choice? We choose to trust him. Our emotions might not catch up immediately, but we can make a decision to trust God and to rejoice in him. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He said, I want you to choose joy. So he said, okay, God, I'll choose joy. And as soon as he said that, he heard the Lord speak to him and said, and say, see that lady sitting over there? He said, yeah. He said, I want you to go tell her that I like her artwork. And he's like, all right. So Jeff is around, you know, the kingdom enough, the power of God that he knows God talks. So he goes over to this lady and he said, excuse me, my name's Jeff and Jesus talks to me. Do you want to know what he has to say to you? <laughs> and she goes, sure. And he said, Jesus told me to tell you that he likes your artwork. She starts weeping. She's weeping and she goes, you don't understand. He said, what do you mean? She said, my grandfather was an incredible artist. And as a little girl, I would watch him do his art, his, his paintings and his artwork. And I always wanted to be an artist, but I never thought I was good enough. And now God himself speaks to a total stranger and says through him, I like your artwork. She starts weeping. She gets set free from the lies that she was believing about her own gift She's set free to be who she was created to be. And she literally experienced like deliverance and inner healing right there in the hospital room. Can we just thank the Lord for that? And, and now Jeff is feeling pretty encouraged. 
And now he just starts getting words for other people in the waiting room, in the hallway. He's going up and down the hallway, ministering to people like he went on a prophetic rampage against the powers of darkness. Because how many of you know that what the enemy means for evil, God likes to flip and use for good. And if we will respond to his goodness, say that he's good, rejoice in him, even when we don't feel like it, even when our emotions are saying otherwise, he will use you to cause all things to work together for good. I know another little girl who really believes she was seated above her circumstances. By the way, I have a pastor friend in Austin who whenever somebody comes up to him, he's like, hey man, how you doing? They're like pretty good under the circumstances. He's like, what are you doing under there? We're not called to live under our circumstances. We're, we're seated above them. And I knew a little girl, four years old, who knew she was seated above her circumstances. Her name was Phoebe. She was diagnosed with leukemia. She was battling cancer. She had lost all her hair from treatments. And my wife, um, she, uh, her and her family were in East Texas. And my wife knew this family, um, kind of grew up around them. And they asked if we would come pray for her or we asked if we could go pray for her. I don't remember. So we go there. And when we walk into the house, Phoebe asks if uh, she can make us tea. We're like, absolutely. So we're sitting in her bedroom on her floor with her little tea set, drinking imaginary tea, and she's just filled with joy, full of life. And heaven's reality, it's like the veil was so thin between her and heaven that she was seeing visions. She was having angelic encounters. One, one time she told her mom, mom, do you see the little girl in the living room? She's roaring like a lion. And it was like, I believe in an angelic encounter. And she was, just, she was just filled with peace. And one day, her mom told us that they were on their way to the hospital for another um, checkup, a round of treatments for her daughter. And her mom is driving, Phoebe's in the back seat, and her mom is just overwhelmed with the circumstances and is just crying as, she, as she's driving the car. She's trying to hide it from her little girl, but you know, as many of you know who have had kids, it's hard to hide that sort of thing. So next thing she knows, she hears Phoebe in the back seat say this. Mom, she said, yeah, trying to hide her tears. God's not a meanie. And she's like, I know, Phoebe, he's not a meanie. And then she said, no, mom, say it. <laughs> she said, say out loud, God's not a meanie, and I'm not afraid. So her mom goes, God's not, choking back tears, God's not a meanie, and I'm not afraid. Now, Phoebe did not get healed of cancer, and she went to be with the Lord. But listen, she went to be with the Lord knowing that she was seated with him in heavenly places and that although her life on this earth was ending, she was living for eternity with the king of the universe, never to suffer again. And we don't know why things don't work out the way that we hope they've worked out, but we do know that he's good all of the time. I want to tell one more story about my friend Carlos Padilla. Carlos Padilla is um, from San Antonio, and uh, I became good friends with him. And, you know, he says that it's my fault that he's moved, walking the things that he's walking now. Um, I don't know how much credit I can take, but I, I, I kind of mentored him in a way. And um, Carlos already knew the Lord, but he started to get equipped and trained that he can release the kingdom everywhere he goes. And then he went from San Antonio to Redding, California to, uh, to attend Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. 
And while he's attending Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, he goes on a ministry trip. And while he's on this ministry trip, and uh, while he's on this ministry trip, they're out doing outreach uh, on the streets in, um, in South Africa. They're in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. And while they're doing evangelism, praying for the sick and all that on the streets, true stories, like you can't make this stuff up, like this is like a movie. A car comes around a traffic circle, hits Carlos. He flies over the car and he's lying there on the road, just hit by a car. And eventually he had to have surgery in his leg or his knee and he was in the hospital for a while. But out of his own words, his own testimony, and I believe you can read this uh, story in a book that he wrote called Roar. He said that in the spirit, when he was hit by a car and he was flying over the car, he heard like a roar, like a, a lion's roar. He didn't feel any pain. Now, I don't know if that was supernatural or if that was just the shock of getting hit by a car. But as he's lying there on the road, the driver like pulls over or whatever. The driver of the car that hit him is panicked and comes and finds him. And there's uh, some of Carlos's team is gathered around. And Carlos finds out that that's the driver that hit him. As Carlos kind of shakes out of his stupor and finds out that was the driver, he takes him by the hand, lying on the road still, ambulance still on their way, takes him by the hand and he said, I forgive you, I love you, and Jesus loves you. And he led him to Jesus right there on the road. He gave his life to the Lord. Not only that, it gets better. Carlos ends up going to the hospital and as he's like in the hospital, he's getting, he's in a wheelchair and he's getting wheeled to the x-ray room for, um, you know, after he was there for I don't know how many days. And he starts getting words of knowledge for healing for some of the staff and people that were just there in the, in the hospital room. People start getting healed. And next thing you know, there is a line outside the x-ray room for people to get healing prayer for healing. People start getting healed. At one point, even once he was back in his regular hospital room, he would have a line of people, staff and patients, lined up for healing. As people started getting physically healed and coming to know Jesus, and something like 60 or 70 people experienced physical healing in the hospital during his whole time there. Now, this was leading up to Easter, and at a Good Friday service, Carlos became friends with the guy that hit him and he would come visit him in the hospital. On Good Friday, at a Good Friday service, the driver of the car and his entire family gave their life to Jesus, got water baptized, and got involved with that church. Can we just thank the Lord for that? Everybody say all things work together for good. I believe God is a genius at taking what life throws at us, what the enemy throws at us. And let me just say this, even what we throw at us by our own mistakes and failures, if we repent unto the goodness of God, God promises to cause all things to work together for good. And I believe a scripture that kind of sums all of this up, and I'll close with this, is from Psalm 84. And it says this in Psalm 84, starting in verse five. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, 
they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. I want to focus on verse 6. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. That word Baca means tears. And I believe this is a prophetic picture that even as we pass through valleys of challenge, of difficulty, of tears, God's desire is to make it a place of springs. Listen, notice that it says as he passes through the Valley of Baca. He's not setting up camp there. He's not staying there. He's passing through it. And I want to prophesy to some of you. Some of you might be in a valley of Baca, but you're not setting up camp there. You are passing through it and you're going to come out on the other side. Ever talk to somebody and they're like, you're like, how you doing, man? They're like, well, I've kind of been in a wilderness. And you're like, were you in a wilderness like 10 years ago when I asked how you were doing? It's like, listen, you might be having a wilderness experience or might be in a valley of Baca, but you're not called to set up camp there. If you will tap into the reality of the kingdom with that unwavering conviction that he is good, God wants to turn your valley of Baca into your greatest strength and a place of springs. And he wants to use some of your challenges and situations that you're facing even today as a footstool to launch you into your next level with God. He promises us in scripture that all things work together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So listen, if you feel like you are in a valley of Baca right now, I want you, this is a safe place. We're gonna pray for you. I wanna ask you to stand. Could be something you're facing physically, relationally, financially, maybe a crisis of faith, whatever it is. If you're in a valley of Baca, a place of tears, I want you to stand because we are gonna agree with you this morning that God would turn it all around in the name of Jesus. 